welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. So it's the start of a new year, and um, I want to share with you a couple of things that um, God has been speaking um, to me about, which I believe are for the church rather than for me individually. Now, um, it's the start of a new year. Um, who started with good intention and they've started a new reading plan for the Bible? Anyone in the room who started with their good intentions? Just a couple of us. Okay, I've already broken mine and uh, not succeeded, and I'm sure that's how I'm going to go on. But uh, I've started, and it's a read-through-the-Bible the um, plan, so I've started with Genesis. And um, well, as I start with Genesis, it's all about creation. And uh, I want to start with some amazing stuff from God's creation for you this morning, um, which you'll see the relevance of as we go through. So, um, first picture... Yep, there. Can anyone tell me where that is in the world? The Amazon Delta. You're absolutely right, Dave. Um, there you go. You can you can see probably more clearly. And um, I'm going to leave the lights down for a moment because there's a couple of pictures. And um, this is the Amazon Delta. And I just want to um, tell you some amazing facts about it. The Amazon is the second longest river in the world, um, the Nile being the longest. It's about 4,000 miles long. But it's actually by far and away the biggest river in the world. And it goes through Peru and out through Brazil and uh, into the Atlantic Ocean. And it's got more water than any other river in the rest of the world. In fact, it's got so much water, it's got as much as the Mississippi, the Nile and the Yangtze all put together. It actually has one-fifth one-fifth of the world's pure water. One-fifth. That includes all the great lakes around the world, all the rivers around the world. Put them all together, and this has got a fifth of that water. The amount of water that comes out of that delta per second is 60 million gallons. That's the, this is one second. That's the same as 100 Olympic swimming pools a second of water pouring out into the Atlantic Ocean. One day's worth of water is the same as 12 years' worth of water use for London. That's every tap, every shower, every flush of the toilet, every washing machine load, every washing up, every bottle of water that's drunk in London, in 12 years, is only the equivalent to one day of water coming out of the Amazon. So, the effect of that, the next picture, this is the Amazon from, uh, from a satellite image. And you can see that same delta. And you can see on this picture, you've got the Atlantic on the left. And um, there's that brown coloration. And that is the water of the Amazon going out into the Atlantic Ocean. For 100 miles, there is not pure salty water because of the effect of the Amazon pushing fresh water out into the Atlantic. So for 
over 100 miles, there's this kind of mix of salt and uh, fresh water. And there's totally different life in that bit than there is in any other part of the planet because there's this mix of uh, the, the fresh water affecting the salt water of the Atlantic. So, I just wanted to show you those pictures because actually um, the first word that I want to share with you, if I get the right lights, is from, um, is from Ezekiel. And um, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn. It's not going to come up on the screen because the font was far too small. So if you've got your phones or your Bibles there, I want you to turn to Ezekiel 47. Now, um, the last song we were singing had a, a picture from Ezekiel about the bones, the dry bones. And this is another picture that Ezekiel gets. And um, he has this experience where one like a son of man, which is in the Old Testament where Jesus turns up and walks with people. And they, he has this vision of Jesus. And this is what it says. So Ezekiel 47, starting verse 3. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, this is Jesus, the man measured a thousand cubits. Now, I'd, I don't use cubits every day. I don't know about you. Um, a cubit's kind of around 50 centimeters. So this is over 400 meters. So uh, the man measured a thousand cubits and then he led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee-deep. I think this sounds like the kind of experience you have at South End. If you're going out into the sea, you kind of you walk forever, and it's only just moving up your legs. So he walks another thousand, and it's knee-deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist-deep. And again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen. And it was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region. And it goes down into the Arabah and it enters the sea. And where the water flows into the sea, the water becomes fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Englem, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not be fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruits will be food. And their leaves will be for healing. Um, God led me to this passage uh, five or six weeks ago. I think I shared it on a, um, a Friday morning at the prayer meeting. And um, I believe God wants us to be like this fresh river. Flowing into a salty place. Like an ocean. 
And he wants us as a church to have that kind of effect that has this kind of riptide that goes out into the ocean and absolutely just makes a way in a place that is not fertile because it's salty and actually changes the whole effect of what's there. A bit like when the Amazon goes out into the Atlantic. I could have used the River Severn. It goes for about seven miles. It wasn't quite so dramatic as the Amazon. Um, But that effect where any river goes into the sea actually changes that little ecosystem around the mouth of the river and out into the ocean. This, um, this passage, I think, um, struck a chord with me um, because it's very similar to the um, picture of heaven in Revelation 21. And um, when we went to um, South Africa a number of years ago to start a clinic, um, I remember we were sitting um, by the banks of the river having um, some time as leaders and we were trying to work out what are we going to call this um, clinic, this work that we're doing. And um, we decided amongst us that it was going to be called Maklako Apadiso, which um, in, uh, in English means leaves of healing. And it comes from that Revelation 21 passage. That was Susutu, not me speaking in tongues. And, um, and so the, kind of that, the imagery of a tree growing who, which fruits every month and whose leaves are used for the healing of the nations is a picture that I've kind of spent some time with. And I just want to tell you a bit about how um, what happened um, in Lesotho happened. So there's these two ladies in the church, and um, they were a grandma and a granddaughter. And uh, they, they just used to kind of go when somebody had a bit of a need. So if somebody couldn't clean their house anymore because they were too elderly they'd just kind of go in once a week and just help clean their house. Or somebody that was really ill and couldn't cook, they'd just deliver them a meal. It was just kind of what they did. And um, they were just lovely, lovely Christian folk. And um, they, they felt as a church that actually they wanted to expand what they were doing. And um, so I was speaking uh, with the elder who was overseeing um, that church. And... Um, He said, um, we really need somebody to come to help train these ladies to have a bit more knowledge so that they can do stuff that's a little bit more technical than they're doing. Would you come for six months and come and teach these ladies? And I was like, yeah, okay, we can do this. So we went and we had a look and we went for six months and you've heard the stories of what happened. But you know, just a little bit of training, those ladies changed from doing that odd bit of help and they kind of formalized what they were doing within the church and it's grown. And um, in that first year after we were there, there was not a week went by that they didn't go to somebody's house and somebody become a Christian. There was salvation every week. And it started because they were doing something that they just felt was necessary by caring for the people who were around them. And, um, and now it's a team of seven and um, they have a couple of doctors who have to support it and they fly in and out doing the support that they need to do. And um, they are gaining much recognition from the government and are doing loads of things that they weren't able to do before. But it all started because there was a couple of ladies who said, we're going to go and do something. And their effect has been a bit like fresh water going out into an ocean. 
they've gone to a place which is actually really, really hostile. No running water, no transport, not very many roads. And they've gone to places that other people don't go to. And they've seen a change. A change that's seen a few churches planted. All because they did what God was telling them to do in a really simple way. In um, the book, The 360 Degree Leader by um, Maxwell, he, um, he talks about leading from the middle. And um, it says on his book, this is kind of the tagline on the front, it says, developing your influence from anywhere in the organization. And on the back, there's this tagline, it says, don't wait for the promotion, start leading. And actually, that's what we need to do as a church. Because if it's all down to the leaders, then actually not a lot happens. Um, And we don't really move forward very far. But actually, when people start to do things because actually God has spoken to them, then it can have a massive effect. So I've got another picture. So the second half of that, as it talks about having an effect on the Arabah, um, I've got a picture of the Arabah Valley which means a desolate and dry area. Now, this is the bit of land um, which um, goes down. um, It's south of the Dead Sea, and uh, it's the border between Israel and Jordan. And um, it used to be called the Jordan Rift Valley um, in kind of the colonial times. And um, it runs north and south, and it goes all the way um, out to Eilat in Israel. And uh, the Dead Sea is commonly called the Arabah Valley now. And uh, as it talks about the Arabah, it's talking about this valley. And you can see there's this, there's this desert. But you see the massive effect of a little tiny river. Massive effect. It's carved huge holes in this desert. And actually, what's at the end of it? It's the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called dead for a reason. Now it grows there. It's a desert, and it's so salty, nothing lives. It is completely, utterly dead. And Ezekiel has this vision. And he said, you're going to go and walk. And actually, there's gonna, you're going to go out into this river. And this river's going to have such an effect on the Dead Sea that you're going to start to see life forming where you've never seen life before. You're going to start to see trees growing and people fishing in places that it's impossible to do this. And there's going to be a total change. And that's what the Arabah Valley looks like today. It looks dead. But I believe God says to us, That we are in a place that is just like the Arabah. It's dead. Nothing grows there. Nothing naturally grows there. But as we go out into it, we're going to have an effect where we see growth. Where we see change. Where we see life teeming. Because of the effect that we have. And that's not an individual thing. That's a corporate thing. I believe God says that as we go corporately, we have this mass effect that goes out 
and changes the environment that we're in. Can we turn on the light again? Is that all right? Um, the, um, the food bank, um, we know that it has quite a big impact on a lot of people. And uh, a lot of people from outside of our church know about the food bank. And um, not many of you um, will have known how it started. And it started because there was a couple of people who needed a bit of food. And kind of the cupboards at the riverside were raided a bit. And um, and there wasn't really much there. So so somebody said, well, well, let's just get some tins in. So we've got some tins in the cupboard. So when people turn up and they're really hungry, we can give them a little food parcel. And then from that, it kind of grew. And now it feeds a load of people. And you lot were fantastic just before Christmas. That, that kind of corridor, absolutely full of boxes of treats to go to those people who are receiving a food parcel. And they received them with delight, I understand. And you having massive effect just because somebody had an idea, it flourished, and then we all took part. And it has mass effect. And I believe God wants to do many more things that are like that. But I don't know what they are. Because I don't know what's going to develop. But I know it starts really small. When people go, actually, I just feel like I need to do this thing. And they do it. And then as they've done it, it multiplies and grows and starts to have big effect. Salt and light. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And this is kind of the opposite way round in picture terms to, to what Ezekiel shared, isn't it? Because he's talking about the salt being there and giving flavor to things that have no flavor. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt's lost its taste, how shall be its saltiness be restored? Ah, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus didn't say, you have the potential to be the salt of the earth. Jesus didn't say, you might become the salt of the earth one day. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He was speaking to his followers, and he said, you are. They may not have felt very salty, They may not have felt that they could have much impact. The disciples who he had around him at that time didn't really have a lot of faith that they could do a whole lot at all, did they? They were a bit of a motley bunch. And they struggled. They struggled to understand what Jesus was talking about. But they knew that they needed to follow him. So they followed. And they started to do what he was telling them to do. And as they did, they went out two by two in their sevens, in their twelves, at different times. And actually, as they went out, they achieved stuff. They saw people healed. 
in Jesus' name. They saw communities changed. They saw people gathered. They saw thousands gather because they did what Jesus asked them to do. And he didn't say to them, well, you might be a bit salty one day. No, he said to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he says the same to us. He says, you are. Everyone who has been trusted with his salvation, we are the salt that changes the very flavor of our society. The next little quote that I've got up there is from Galatians, Galatians 5. And Paul said this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's how it is in the ESV. And I like that. You put a little bit of yeast into your bread. You don't get a little bit in the corner of the loaf that rises and the rest stays like leavened bread, do you? No, the whole loaf rises because it's got the leaven in it. And actually, that's the same for us. As we go out, we have effect on the whole loaf. And that's what God says to us. He's go. He wants us to go into the places we are to have that kind of effect. The thing about wading in is you don't know how deep it's going to be. The amount of times that I've walked into a river and looked and thought, that's not too deep. I can just walk across there and I won't get the wet above my walking boots. And before I know it, I'm knee deep and have soggy walking boots. You never know. And the thing about wading in is it's kind of dangerous. So when Jesus grabs your hand and says, come a thousand cubits with me. Come on this journey with me. We're going to go walk. You might end up ankle deep. You might be knee deep. You might be waist deep. It might be up here and you're swimming across the river. And you don't know on the bank where you're going to be going. I believe God is challenging us to go and get our feet wet and see where it goes. In Deuteronomy 1, so a long time before in the Bible, as they're in the desert, God speaks to his people about the Arabah. So in Deuteronomy 1, 21, it says, See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Now this is the same Arabah that he speaks to Ezekiel about. The same place. And as God's people are there, looking into the promised land, as he's telling them to go, he says, go and take the Arabah. And we're being told to do the same thing today. Go and take the desolate places. That's the very foundation of who we are as Church in the Peak, isn't it? Go and take the desolate places of the Peak Districts. Go and take them, set fires 
all over the Peak District. And let's see it change for God. And the thing is, as we run around trying to madly light a fire here and here and here as one person, they go out and we just run around in circles. We don't get anywhere. But as we go out corporately, we light fires together. The thing about Ezekiel was he had intimacy with God. And it was great this morning, wasn't it? An intimate time of worship where we could just rest with God. And that word that came in by text this morning was all about the presence of God getting out there with the presence of God. And actually experiencing all that God's got on offer. And that's what Ezekiel was doing. And God spoke to him and showed him visions. Showed him visions about what was going to happen. And actually, the end point of what happened with Ezekiel was Jesus came. And they saw massive changes around the Arabah Valley. Because they saw churches planted all across that region. After he died, then the churches flourished. Now I want to um, tell you another way that God spoke to me um, towards the end of last year. Um, You'll remember Dave Wade came to speak to us and he was talking about healing um, and he was really good and he's preaching away and I was taking notes um, and typing them into my pad that I've got here. And uh, those of you with uh, a modern mobile or or an iPad or whatever, you'll know that as you're typing, um, it kind of, it starts to suggest the word for you, doesn't it? And... um, Sometimes, before you finish a word and you push space, it already is suggesting the next word before you've even typed a letter. It thinks it knows where you're going. So Dave's preaching, and um, and I, I just had this desperate urge, and I felt I felt it was a kind of a God urge to just push the word that was next coming up, uh, and I just felt God was saying, "I'm going to say something." So I did it, and it, and it started off, and it, and it said, we need to be, full stop. I was like, need to be what? So I carried on. It said, it can be fruit pickers or car washes. And I thought, no, this is, this is just me. So I'll stop and uh, concentrate on what Dave's saying. And I really felt God say, no, carry on, push the word. So I carried on. So it said, we need to be, it can be fruit pickers or car washes, etc. And it goes on. There is a place for doctrines and dogma and science and history and apologetics. But these things are not Jesus. Jesus is our model. Jesus and kingdom. And at that point, I thought I could stop now. Now, I've done this. I I did this with Chloe last week, just pushing the next random word. um, Because I wanted to test out something with her phone. And I didn't know what to write in a message, so I just pushed it. And it came out with complete gobbledygook. We did it, a group of us, last night, and we just did a whole load of words on an iPhone. And yeah, there were words that followed each other, but they had no sense whatsoever. The interesting thing is, this is exactly what Dave was preaching about at that point. He was saying that as we go out into communities and we pray for people, um, wherever they are, and as we encounter God, wherever that happens to be, whether it's in a car wash 
or whether it's fruit picking, or whether it's at your work, or it's on the high street, that actually he will do some stuff that we haven't seen before. And I believe God says to us, he wants us to take the everyday situations. Have you ever spoken to the blokes in the car wash in Matlock? Who gets their car washed in the car wash in Matlock, the hand car wash? That's loads of us. Who's spoken to the guys in the car wash? Yeah, a couple of people. I've had a chat with them just about what's happening with your business, where are you going? I've never had any kind of proper conversation with them. And there's a challenge to me. When I'm in the car wash, talk to them. Actually engage them. Because they're really happy to talk. Because they're really probably very bored doing what they're doing all day. And, um, you know, in the car wash, are we going to see some stuff happening? As you go and pick fruit with your friends, as you walk down country lanes, picking the blackberries in September, is that a time to be sharing the gospel? And... Is it a time to stop and pray for their bad leg? To pray for the difficult scenarios they're having with their family? Oh, yes, it is. And I believe God would say to us, this is how it's going to be. This is Jesus' model. He didn't set something up. He didn't go, okay, now, I want you to have a church, and I want you to make it look like this, and you're going to have this structure and that structure. No, he said, go to this place, go to that place. Pray for people, see healing, preach the word of God. He said some really simple stuff. Get people baptized. And actually, as you do that, you'll see some amazing stuff happening. And so I believe what um, came out as I pushed the words there is absolutely true. We get, we get so caught up, don't we, on doctrine and dogma. We get caught up with science and history and all these things have massive impact on, on church and how we, how we behave as church. Um, the apologetics, you know, the arguments we have about how we are as church and why we're like we are and what does the Bible really mean about this thing. And we get caught up on that. And those things might be important, but actually they're not Jesus. And actually Jesus is our model. Jesus and the kingdom that he talked about, that's our model. And that's where we need to be going. And I believe these two words fit together. But actually, as we behave in this way, and we go out into those desolate, salty, difficult, hostile, horrible places that we encounter every day in our life, that actually God wants to change them. And he wants to bring a freshness that we haven't seen before. Where it's bland, he wants to bring a a saltiness and a flavor. So he wants to do some stuff that we haven't been seeing before. If you think about all the the nation-changing movements, the people who started those didn't think, I'm going to start a nation-changing movement. No, they went down the road and they did something because actually they thought that was really important. And they did it, and actually people around them saw it and were like, that's really good, we want to join in on this gig. We want to be part of this. And they took part as well, and other people saw it, and it grew. And suddenly it became something that the original person never never kind of had an inkling about. A bit like those two ladies in the church in Lesotho. They didn't plan in their head that they were going to set up a clinic that was going to have government recognition. No. 
They went to their neighbour because they were in need. And suddenly from there, they've seen churches planted and government recognition. The United Nations is investing in their clinic. The United Nations. Because they see what is good. And they've seen the effect that a few people can have. Start small. We achieve those things. And we see what God will do with it. So what does that look like? I don't know that I'm fully sure. Am I worried about that? No. I think it worries us if we're control freaks and we need to know the end point before we start. But actually, I believe this is a time where God says, stop being a control freak and actually start doing some of the stuff, not worrying about where this is leading. Because actually, I'll shape it as it goes. And if actually you're barking up the wrong tree, I'll chop the tree down. And actually, there'll be no fruit. And actually, you'll know this isn't the thing that you should be doing. And I believe God says it's time for us to start to innovate by starting with the things that we have passion for. And we're all really different. And we've got some passion for different stuff for a reason. God doesn't put us together because, oh, actually, that seemed like a good bunch. No, he puts us together because we're really different. And actually, we've got some different talents We've got some different things that excite us and motivate us. And we've got totally different skills and gifts. Yep, we're going to need to serve each other. Yep. Yes, we're going to need to submit to each other sometimes. And sometimes we'll go out of our comfort zone. But actually, as we do these things, we see a difference made. I think it's really important that in all of that we don't give up meeting together. I think some people still haven't kind of caught what we've been doing with groups. And actually the thing that we've been doing with groups has been about gathering. And it's a really kind of easy time, isn't it, to kind of just opt out. I won't get noticed. But actually it's like having your arm chopped off when people don't come. Because actually we don't function together well. But as we meet together, and as we start to share some stories with each other about what we've seen God doing, actually he's going to stimulate something in us that's bigger than it would be if we met in little tiny groups. I've really felt over Christmas kind of like, oh, it's really difficult not meeting together. It's really hard work. Dave and I were talking about this on Thursday night when we met. It's kind of really hard work. How must it be if you never met? And we meet this morning and there's just that wonderful presence of God amongst us. And I want to encourage us, don't give up meeting together. So, God said to us, when you secure Matlock, you'll take the peaks. I've got a picture of my key ring. Um, says on it, he means what he promised. This is a metal key ring. It's been on my keys for the last 20 years. And um, Pamela gave it to me when I could see no way that we were going to see what God was speaking to us about being achieved. And she gave me the key ring. And I have the key ring on my keys. So every day I read, he means what he promised. 
And you know, he's, God said stuff to us like, when you secure Matlock, you're going to take the peaks. He's given us promises. And I don't believe we've secured Matlock yet, and we haven't seen the peaks taken. That doesn't mean I don't believe the promise. And I'm believing for that promise. As we start out into 2017, I want to see God work with us, change us, stimulate us, and see Matlock taken. And as we take Matlock, that we start to see those peaks taken as well. He means what he promised. We don't have a God who gives out wild promises that he cannot fulfill. And I believe he wants to do some stuff in us. So what's God given you a vision for? What is it that makes you get really excited? As I was preparing, I just felt, um, even in some simple everyday stuff, you know, maybe like people homeschooling their children, that actually he's going to start to do some stuff where it gets bigger than that original intention. With your neighbours who are elderly, that you just go and you say, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? And as you do that, he's going to do some stuff that you weren't expecting. And there will be some things that grow. And I, I don't know what all those things are. But I believe God's saying, you do. Because you know what he's stimulating you for. So, who wants to wade deeper and see what this thing looks like? Okay, do you want to stand? And the worship band, come back please. I want us to come back to worship. Um, it's just good to be in the presence of God and to worship. Um, but I just want you, as we worship, just to start asking God, what does this thing look like for me? And what does this thing look like for us, corporately? And I want to see, what does God say to us this morning?